Welcome to another episode of Know It All. I'm your host, Jason Barber, and today we're picking up part two of our conversation on data and technologies powering better construction. I'm joined once more by Nate Tuckerman, partner manager at Procore. Let's dive right back in. Nate, how do you think companies can get better data and better performance out of their construction technology? Yeah, I mean, I, I think of it as basic as, are we using the same forms? <laughs> right. Like, are we just are we just using the same process on projects? And then you up-level it and you look at some of the, the real thought leaders of, of what corner of the industry is doing this at the highest level. And I think you look at the VDC and the BIM folks and say, hey, look, this is sink or swim, right? You try to get people to coordinate on a model and you're pulling in data that's not talking and you're using Navis and they're not. And it's just, you know, it becomes quickly relevant and obvious that if we don't set the standards for the file structures and the specifications, and this is just never going to get off step. And so I look to that as a guide to say, look, we did a lot of work in PDFs. We did a lot of work in models in VDC. What, what are we doing with just the basic? I think the next place to look is like, how do we talk to the ERPs, right? And how is the same data going to be transferred and shared with quantity? Right. What if there was a standard for quantity to finance to construction and then the construction industry came to you and said, hey, look, we're all going to use this. And so as your data starts to move across the different platforms and the different uses, and I'm going to use it for production here, but then it's going to move to payroll over there. And we're going to try and spool these things out of the model. Everybody doing it the way that makes sense to them is a blocker. And so structured data can get as complicated as the model can get as simple as please put it in the right cell column row format for macros <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah. and so those are the banks of the river or, or what form do you input this into your point what are you even naming the stuff the database has 14 different qualifiers for it there's a there's a company out there it's kind of uh, just a name drop i guess that uh, agora is putting together a platform that lets you order material from the field but they've done the research to figure out what is what does everybody call this thing what are the 19 different slang terms for this and those are all able to be drawn up in the tool it maps it back to oh yeah we did the research we know that you really are talking about a four square box it's a large undertaking uh, and i think it's just a matter of sitting down and saying hey what are we going to agree to do here and i think you start at the company right and then we start having customer alignment conversations at the beginning of projects it used to be like who's able to sign a change order who do i submit things to we have those early alignment conversations of who can approve something and I think we just need to stack on it and say, how are we going to do our data plan? Uh, I was on a call where we were talking about having technology added as a CSI spec. And somebody's responsible for aggregating and coordinating all of these different stakeholders on a project to make sure something like structured data, I think, would fall under that. Absolutely. And I think having one of those specs would then make it so you can kind of standardize, at least on that project, the model format and what kind of data is going to be in there so that the part that I being in the tech space now is, you know, machine learning and AI, lots of other industries use it, but it's not really gotten any traction in the construction industry. And largely, I think it's because of we have so many unmanaged processes and unstructured data. I don't think anybody in an operations leadership role would say, oh, I don't want to be able to accurately predict based off of past history, how we're going to track on this job. And Oh, it looks like all of a sudden branch conduits looking like we're we're struggling. 
as usual. What are some changes we've done in being able to actually run some of those what-if analysis and put that machine learning on it? I mean, I think that sounds amazing. And I, I think, again, it's just those fundamental building blocks to be able to get to that point. Or your point, if the model is not accurately collaborated between ductwork and things like that, okay, then what ends up happening from a prediction standpoint for the overall cost, how much more change orders are there for those kinds of things? The other thing I think, bringing it back a little bit, it's really fascinating to me about what's happened with VDC and BIM is they started out as class detection tools and they're still largely used for that and they're great for that. Now, Prefab has driven that to say, we need our models to actually be essentially productized designs. We need a lot more detail in them so that our prefab shops know all the details. There's literally no gray area about what's the length or what's the radiuses on things or what kind of materials like, because the risk of getting it wrong is so much higher when you are prefabbing it. What do you see as more trends and what's kind of pushing that from, you know, that technology perspective and that technology stack? <laughs> So I don't know how many owners are going to listen to this call, but we started in BIM saying, hey, this is a requirement paid for by the owner, so we're going to do it. And if we're going to do it, we might as well extract some benefit and value from it for ourselves. And what an opportunity, right? Someone else is paying for us to put all of this information together and formulate a better, more visible plan. And so like, we can piggyback on that. And I think what you're starting to see is it's a transition from I'm doing it because someone else is paying me. And maybe I can extract some value to it too. I want to make this part of my process. I want to endeavor to do this, even if there isn't maybe a BIM requirement. I think there are companies, well, I know that there are companies that are saying, we're only going to BIM portions of it of particular congestion or problem. We're going to get the GC to buy into that. We're going to do these things. Not because the owner says we have to, because we know as builders that the only way to perform on this aggressive schedule to get it right and save cost in these custom builds that we do every time is to take a look at it in this way. And so now we're starting to bring on tools that do that for us in point solutions and platforms and things that are saying, hey, look, if we're going to say this is critical, then we're going to have to back the use of the tools that enable us to do it. And not because the mechanical contractor is driving it on the project based on the requirement of the owner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we might just be doing this in a vacuum just for our own teams to be able to see what this this you know underground duct work is going to look like in the data center with the right spacing for heat mitigation and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think that's the corner that turns is we're starting to see it did produce value. It is something that we can carve out dollars for because I'm going to get that eight to one return on pre-planning you mentioned earlier. And I'm going to earmark three of those dollars on generating the plan. Yeah, I think... I mean, you mentioned it. There's lots of companies I know that even if it's not required by the owner or even by the GC, that they're just like, no, we 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 CAD or we model this scope of the work no matter what. And I mean, I'm I'm sure some owners might be a little offended by that, but honestly, I think it better serves them in the long run. And really, that that future state of being able to have this true digital twin, like collecting all that information during the construction and design process that then is a really accurate handoff to the owner, that's huge. I mean, that's that's massive value. So I would almost encourage owners to to push it further and say, 
yeah, you've done this, you know, kind of coordination effort, but, you know, here's some incentives if you provide us even more of that data from your fabrication models or from anything like that. And I see the, the next level is even getting those sorts of pieces of information, those tools better in the field. And I think, you know, Procore's BIM tool is heading that direction. And I mean, I'm excited about what that partnership between Manufacton and Procore is really going to deliver in the next few months to make it even more useful for those people in the field, those end customers. Like, can't say it enough that that's, that's got to be who's getting that biggest value because that's what drives the bottom line for for every project and for every company. <laughs> it's funny. I left this off the table, but you're so good about bringing it back is we were doing this Microsoft job and the metadata that we were asked to put into the model, the fixtures, the serial number, the model of it, the type of lamp that goes into it, all of this stuff they intended to use post handoff, right? When these assets transferred in closeout to the owner, they were literally saying, we're going to use Watson to tell us a week before that lamp goes out that it's time to replace it. There's a short with one of the outlets. We know exactly what to buy. We're not keeping stock. We know exactly who we're going to source it from. And it becomes predictive analytic overlay on top of the metadata that we're providing through the model effort. And so when you talk about IT spend and the stack and what what are you going to use and how are we going to do all of this, it becomes how do I gather information from my vendors? Right? Am I am I really reading it off of the submittal and then hand putting it into a Excel spreadsheet for coordination and then getting that into an O and M somehow? Like it's a just it's a mess, right? Where it's multiple entry, and so what we're talking about is this platform. I hope Procore becomes the the source of this, where all of these data inputs can feed into this central repository, of, uh, holding this, attaching it to these assets tracking it across the life cycle of the project and delivering it ultimately to the owner. And to your point of working for the field, along that process, they're going to jump in and look like a, a looking glass, a glass bottom boat, right? And they're going to look into that data journey and say, okay, well, I need it for my particular piece. I'm trying to install this thing. I don't know the dimensions. How far off of the door jam do I need to make this thing? Like, you know, all of the things necessary for install and then QA for the architects and the owners say, hey, did he do it right? Of course he did it right. You guys are all looking at the same information. I think that's the future. And I, I think when you get people to really identify their own particular value and as a stakeholder on the process and say, I want to spend it because I know it's going to help you go faster. I want to spend it because I know I'm going to get the benefit of it after. You know, a lot of this stuff, a lot of the hard stuff to pierce with the owner is like, I get it. That's valuable for you going through the process, but that's two years. I'm going to own it for the next hundred and that value disappears. So I, I look at it as like a lost leader that I'm spending for your benefit. We just need to change that perception to say, hey, look, we can actually operationalize this project data. Like we talk about operationalizing the estimate data to asset management for ownership. Yeah. I mean, that Microsoft project example is a, is a huge one. I mean, there's the joke of the $400 hammer from NASA and, you know, that light fixture for Microsoft could have easily ended up, I mean, light fixtures are more expensive usually, but could have ended up as a 10,000 light fixture when it was supposed to be a thousand dollar light fixture because they had to go figure out who they could source it by. They had to spend the time of their maintenance folks to do that. Then they installed the wrong one because it was, you know, maybe the driver was a different model or something like that. I mean, those, that kind of 
information or those occurrences happens all the time and having that, that data and then having that technology spend, yeah, it, it's an investment up front, but it almost always pays out 10x or more, especially to the project and to the individual stakeholders, you know, or maybe not for one small subsegment. But again, that's just got to be those larger decisions to not get mired in the weeds. The last thing that we wanted to talk about was, and we were kind of getting right to it, is technology has a lot of promise, but it can also be overwhelming, uh, almost cumbersome. Like, what do you, what do you think the perspective needs to be? I mean, there's there's no silver bullet when it comes to any software or even hardware for that matter. But um, you know, what do you think is the most successful or the ways that companies and people can really start to think about it to set themselves up for success? It's the positioning, I think. If you go talk to a civil contractor and say, do you want to take on more work? They say yes. You say, okay, do you need another scraper? Do you need another backhoe to be able to do that? And they go, well, of course. Like I I got three of them. They're on three jobs. If I want a fourth job, I need a fourth one. And you go, great, makes sense. You're going to go buy that piece of equipment. You're not going to hiss and moan about, to the cat dealer about it. You're going to go, I, I know what it costs. I know what I need. I know how to use it. I know I need an operator. You don't send it out there without an operator and expect it to just run around the site. And I think technology is starting or needs to be thought of in that way is that it isn't this like ancillary, no value to the cost. I already have some. Why do I need more? You start to look at it and go, okay, what's the goal that you're trying to accomplish? And what are the things that enable that and pull, you know, pull plan back from goal set to, to tech stack for implementation execution? So you look at, we need to enable our field staff with the information. Cool, we got that in their hands. We did that through Ignites and, and all these file sharing things or whatever that strategy is, but we know we need to accomplish that. And then we need visibility in what's happening out there so we can accurately support, pivot, change, project, whatever. And we need to be able to see what's going on. How do we do that if we're not on site all the time or sitting in meetings? And, and so as you start to identify those choke points for success, taking those promoted professionals with all the experience and taking them off the project level because they're managing multiple projects, how do you get them back down involved at the project level to provide insight on what's happening? You start to identify the solutions that do that. And when you say, hey, there's a cost, there shouldn't be a cost without an offsetting benefit. And that ROI chase, if a company can't produce it for you in a manner that you can absorb, then this isn't a good tool for you guys. Because it should be increasing your profitability, your production, your safety, whatever that goal is, a cost to offset. And you should be able to tie it to some business return in every case. You're, you're bringing on a safety solution. Great. I'm going to challenge my safety professionals to tie that to the reduction in my EMR. And I want to have that tied to my reduction in my insurance premiums. And I want to say that because we bought this tool on, we limited the rate of occurrence, which directly corresponded to this, and we saved X. And now this $20,000 safety tool saved us $2.5 million. If I could go back in time and know that, I'd have bought it 10 years ago. And so the IT spend that is, correct me if this is wrong, but I think it's at a half a percent in construction against a 4% average by other industry. Yeah, it's a half to 1% is the the average, which is pennies on the dollar. <laughs> uh, and, and I have attribution for that. I, I truly believe that that's because no one has stepped forward and created a tool so well built and purpose built for construction by construction professionals 
that using it is de-risked. A lot of what we had to do was take this like amalgamation of other industry solutions into this patchwork of things that, to your point, didn't have structured data, that weren't talking to each other, and make that work for our process. And that was never the same for two companies because of how we approached the same code structure or work. We're all putting it in per the same laws. But the tools that we use to do that are not the same. And, and you're really starting to see that change. You're starting to see for construction solutions. And I think that a lot of companies are starting to realize that these are tools and we can't just go out to market and say, well, is your tool customizable enough to do it the way we've been doing it? And you really have to think, is it worth the squeeze to change my process drastically, minimally, to get the benefit of the function of the tool that they've built? And I, I really think the perception is that software can just be anything. You could just create a different UX or whatever I want. But I heard it the other day. Is the, the, the answer to can you do it in software is never know. It's how much. Uh, <laughs> and so your your analogy of the civil contractor really hit with me even there it's like so there's the hey if i want to take on more work i'm going to need more excavators i'm going to need more skid steers whatever it is but then that same mentality can actually go into as contractors construction companies buy software a lot of times they say well i want to buy a software that does everything well you don't buy an excavator and expect it to do the same work as a motor grader. Yeah, sometimes you buy that backhoe and it's going to do a couple of different tasks for you. But you're really trying to figure out what's the right mixture of highly specialized versus really broad configurable tools. And I think we need to start looking at your technology stack the same way. Yes, you need some broad-based tools, but then you also need some specific tools that work really, really well for certain aspects of your business. And Maybe that isn't a big enough part of your business, but I think just having that mentality, I mean, other companies, other industries, they don't expect one software to to do everything. They expect to buy four or five softwares to really build up their, their operational stack. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah. I don't think you'll ever hear a civil contractor say, why isn't anybody building me a universal scraper, backhoe, greater, greater? Like, when is that coming? <laughs> right right but i think i hear it on every call is like where is that all in one out of the box functionality that's really going to service my business and sector perfectly and and i think that's probably where i'm going to start going from now on um <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the whole change piece of it right is like i think we're going to get into that but what are your thoughts there is like all of this comes around to tracking and managing and that's easy enough when it's static but then you throw this chaos feature into the mix that is okay great plan now let's change it. Yeah, I think like change management is probably the biggest challenge, honestly. Once you say, okay, we recognize we need this tool, the, this technology. And when you're doing that evaluation process, you're looking at all the things that it can do for your business. And you should. But then it's almost flipping the script when you're doing that implementation, that change. Don't try to do it all at once. We're all human beings. We can only take so much change at a time. It has to be that incremental and having a really good structured, going back to the planning thing, a structured plan of, all right, we're going to start with this element of it on these projects or this section of our business. And then we're going to, after we feel comfortable with that, we're going to add a little bit more to it. We're going to add a little bit more to it. And that's 
I mean, you've seen ERPs do this for, for decades, and usually those implementations can take up to two years or longer in, in some cases. So you know, they start with purchasing, and then they move to invoicing, and they move to your balance sheets or whatever it is. Having that mentality of a change management and really instilling a you know a subject matter expert who's going to own that change management process, I think is what's I've seen and experienced the most success with. And too many times we people get excited about it and they're like, oh, I spent this money. I want to see this ROI as quickly as possible. And then it, it almost sets it up for failure. I mean, we all want that ROI on both sides as soon as possible, but we also want to make sure it's successful and it's got to work for all the entities. You know, it's interesting that you say that. I, I agree. I think there should be somebody that is dedicated to the change management process, has their eye on that prize, if you will. I think it's important to denote that change happens in a multitude of ways on a project. There's the very prescriptive requested, which is an RFQ, whether that be an an RFI or a whatever that format that it comes in, but it's them asking you for a price for what we know is a change. To me, that's very linear. It's like, okay, thank you. It's is grouped into this package. It's it's triggered off of this initiating document. It's tracked as a line item in my change order. I owe you a price by this date per contract. And then and, and you sort of, you're on rails and, and we all track that. And yeah, that contributes to increase and there's an information dissemination requirement. And there's a lot to that that could be all inclusive of that managed process. And that could be a job into of itself. But there's real danger in where it's not an RFQ. It's like, hey, why are you bringing this cost to me? And that's the perception of like, I didn't ask you for a quote here. I don't expect to see a price for this. To which the subcontractor typically says, well, I didn't expect to see a deviation from the plan, but you know, that's what I woke up to today. And so those are like field generated notifications, a superintendent asking for it out of sequence because of a a variable change and an inability to meet a delivery date, whatever that is. And those come up and you go, okay, well, we're just going to handle this by the contract team. There's a back charge or something. We're not going to elevate it to the owner and the that feedback loop of receiving the field conditions is where I identify the biggest risk and where I think technology lends the most help to say, hey, look, I'm giving you visibility in what's happening on your project, not only in what we're doing from a production standpoint, but the things that are affecting our ability to be productive and how are we as project managers or change order managers facilitating the change needed to not have that change affect us. <laughs> and so I say that that the best thing I could ever do for a customer is be proactive in telling them what not to do and then notifying them when they didn't make the decision to mitigate that risk. And the enablement and entitlement, more importantly, against that practice is infinitely more beneficial in a value that you provide as a service as a customer to a customer. Because I give them the benefit of that. I believe that me telling you that this is important and if you don't do these things, this will happen. They go, well, that's great, but that's like this tiny little ember burning. And I've got this fire over here and I'm going to choose to mitigate the million dollar loss, not your $20,000 thing. So yeah, I incurred it, but it was a decision. And I go, well, I unfortunately need to hold you accountable to those decisions. But I think of change management in, in that way, right? We, we want to be on top of our work. We want to demonstrate and show you what the implications of not performing or doing something that's coming up, like not approving us middle in time. And when they don't, then we have the choice of if we want to hold you accountable to that because the information has been compiled and organized in a very accurate and clear way. Well, what you you really touched on, and I think this is where 
technology and the industry and everything really plays that big part is is informed decision making. The better informed means the better decision so that people can say, yeah, I'm, that this is a million dollar fire versus the $20,000 ember. At least I know that and I'm making a conscious decision about it. I think it's just really the that crux of everything. Nate, really enjoyed the this conversation. I know you and I could continue on for for hours and hours and um, much longer, and hopefully we can do this some more in the future. But wanted to say thanks again for for joining me on this conversation and and for the podcast. And uh, hopefully people will tune into the next episodes of Know It All. And looking forward to more similar conversations. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Jason. Uh, any opportunity to sit and talk with some of the, the industry's thought leaders and, and solution providers is is always something that I'm going to tune into. Thanks, Nate. Join us again next time for the next episode of Know It All.